Today's scripture reading, it comes from 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 10. And today's sermon title is Replicating the Gospel We've Received. Again, today's scripture reading, it comes from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And today's scripture ti sermon title is Replicating the Gospel We've Received. This is God's holy inerrant word, starting in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we've proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. With that, let me just share an introduction for today's guest speaker, Pastor Rob Edwards. He served in university ministry for 11 years with RUF at the University of Georgia until 2010. Afterwards, he served as a church planter and an associate pastor Oh, and a pastor of Mercy Presbyterian Church in Forest, Virginia, for about nine years. And now he serves as an associate professor of pastoral theology at Westminster Theological Seminary. That's a mouthful. And what is he doing? He primarily teaches on preaching, evangelism, missions, church planting and growth, and ethics. And of course, I had the privilege to be able to sit under his preaching as well as his teaching during my years at Westman. He has this vibrant and magnetic personality. He's wonderful to listen to. And our brother here, he's up in the front. He's with his wife, Angie, and they've been married for 30 years and have three children together. And so again, let's warmly welcome Pastor Rob. Thanks, brother. Thank you for that warm greeting. It's good to see Nick again and, and good to meet a number of you uh, as I arrived and uh, some to get reacquainted with who I haven't seen in, in many years. Uh, you've heard the passage that I would like us to consider together um, as you're focusing this month on, on missions, this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, you think of Jesus' promise in Matthew 16 uh, during his earthly ministry he says to his disciples, I will build my church. And there's a sense in which that is a sum of Jesus' mission throughout the world. He says, I will build my church. And the church that he builds serves to further extend his mission throughout the world. 
And I, that's what I want us to consider as we look at this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me provide a little bit of context uh, for this letter in 1 Thessalonians. Um, in Acts chapter 17, uh, we have an account of, of Paul's first ministry in Thessalonica, uh, to whom this letter is written. Christ is proclaimed, uh, people believe the gospel, they are gathered in the church, but there's also a response from the world, you might say, from those who do not believe, from those who resist the message that Paul proclaimed. And you find this recorded by Luke, who's the author of Acts in Acts chapter 17. People say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Turning the world upside down. The status quo of Thessalonica has been disturbed through the proclamation of the gospel and the establishment of the church that Jesus has promised to build. And Paul describes in these verses that, I'll, uh, that we've heard read already how through the church Christ furthers his mission in the world. And as we consider this passage, I want us to be challenged about how this should reframe our own understanding of the church, our own expectations of the church, our own sense of what it means to be involved in the life of the church, seeing the church that Jesus has promised to build at the forefront of his mission throughout the world. A few more uh, words on Thessalonica. Uh, Paul comes to Thessalonica in what is known as his second missionary journey. Uh, if you know anything about Paul's missionary journeys described in Acts, they're these circles where, again, his, his ministry and the gospel moves further and further out into the world. And as, as Paul arrives in Thessalonica, it's, the, it's really the first entrance of the gospel into Europe. Uh, Thessalonica, still a city today in Greece, is, is part of Europe, and here the gospel has come through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Again, the gospel, the message of the gospel extending further and further out into the world. Uh, many Bible scholars believe that this letter, 1 Thessalonians, is actually Paul's very first letter. Uh, though it doesn't come first in of his letters as they're collected in the New Testament, many believe this is his very first letter written to this church in Thessalonica, uh, probably written uh, within a year or maybe just after a few months after his ministry there. And so the, the point I want to stress is this is a brand new church to which he writes with rather new believers to which he addresses this letter. A new church, young believers who are now joined to Christ and his mission. Listen to how F.F. F. Bruce, who's a renowned New Testament scholar, describes this young church in Thessalonica. He says this, From the beginning, they functioned as a missionary church. From the beginning... He says they functioned as a missionary church. And in view of this opening chapter to this young church, 
I want us to ask, what is necessary for us as a church if we also are to serve this wider mission within the world? That the word of the Lord might sound forth from you as it does the church in Thessalonica, as Paul says in verse 8. The word of the Lord, the message of the gospel, what God has done in Jesus Christ that we might be reconciled to him, this word implants certain patterns in the lives of those who belong to the church. Those who receive the message receive it, Paul says, not only in word, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, as he says in verse 5. Maybe an illustration would help here. Think of DNA, you know, this polymer made up of many molecules that creates this double helix strand, something that's invisible to the naked eye yet you receive it from your biological parents, and it determines all of the primary characteristics and traits that you have. It replicates itself once it is received. It makes you who you are. Though inward, though hidden, though not visible to us, it, is, it becomes obvious in inescapable ways, for better and for worse. Right? Determining various characteristics, various physical traits, and therefore various abilities and limitations, traits that will be replicated. And we can think about that as an illustration for how the Apostle Paul describes the impact of the gospel. When the gospel is implanted in that way, it replicates. And that's how Paul is describing how the gospel has changed this group of people in Thessalonica gathered in this church. Gospel traits that are reproduced and serve to further the mission of Christ throughout the world. And that's what I want us to focus on as we look more carefully at this passage, how the life of the church replicates the gospel it's received, and then reproduces a ministry that impacts the world both near and far. But first, in order to be replicated, if we're to replicate the word of the Lord, this word of the gospel as Paul describes it, it must first be received. And Paul describes that reception by these believers in Thessalonica before the gospel can be worked outward from the church, it must be worked deeply within the life of the church. And this is our first point. To replicate the word of the Lord, it must first be received. Now, Paul uses that word two times in the passage that that we read. If you look at verse 6, it's, Paul says, you received the word in much affliction and in the joy of the Holy Spirit. More on that later. 
And then in verse 9, also he talks about the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When the gospel is received, this is the result. It describes what many call conversion. Now, it might help to think about that word conversion outside of a religious context to really grasp uh, the sense of what that word means. For instance, if you, if, uh, if, if you need to convert one set of measurements from one system, say the imperial system of measurements in feet and yards and miles, um, uh, to uh, centimeters, meters, kilometers, and so forth, the, the relationship between those measurements in those two systems is entirely different. I always have to look this up. Maybe you do too. I was in Hong Kong recently working out in the hotel gym, and everything is in kilograms. I don't know what a kilogram feels like when you pick it up, so I was having to Google on my phone to know how much weight it was I was trying to lift. And maybe you've had to do this before with, with other things. Okay, here it is in kilometers, but what does that mean in miles? They're completely different systems of measurements, different relationships between the numbers that are used. It has to be converted if you're to understand it. And, and, I, and I think that should help us understand the nature of conversion as Paul speaks to it here in 1 Thessalonians. If you look at verse 9, conversion means an entirely new way of relating to the things of this world. You adopt an entirely new system with entirely different relationships, which Paul describes of in terms of turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In verse 6, Paul describes how they've become imitators. But you see, to become imitators of Paul, to become imitators, as he says, of the Lord we can no longer imitate the world and its idolatry. Right? There must be conversion, a new way of relating both to God and the things of this world. I think we can tend to look at idolatry as a practice of the ancient world which was due to ignorance. Right? We live in a modern world. We understand the workings of the world, the powers that are in play. But in the ancient world, there was ignorance of those things. And so they had to turn to these gods that they created to bless them, to protect them, and a world over which they had little control. And of course, there's a sense in which that is true when it comes to ancient idolatry and how it functioned. Uh, but the question is, have things really changed so much with us? Are things truly different? It's an illustration. Think of technology for a minute. Maybe you've watched one of the Apple events where new products are revealed, right? They're typically streamed, and if you've ever tuned into one of these, it's amazing how much like a worship service those events are. Right? There's music, 
And people are gathering, various people speak from up front, and there's a revelation of new products. Praise is offered in view of of what has been revealed. Well, why? Why do such events capture so many people's attention? Well, it's because we believe these things will bring blessings to our lives. And if we don't have them, we fear that we might be judged and condemned, left without. It's important for us to see that idolatry is not merely an ancient practice. It's actually the function of every human heart when turned away from the true and living God. As we put the things of His creation in His place, anything we exalt... Anything we, we long for, it's a blessing, or fear its curse, functions as a God in our lives. It may be tangible. It may be a person you live to please, or that product that you just must have. It may be something intangible, uh, some ambition that you pursue, or affection, or acceptance that you must have. And these things govern the way you live your life foremost in your thoughts, ordering what you do throughout your days. All of us are shaped by what we worship and serve. We are converts to those things. Scripture has a lot to say about idolatry. Uh, Psalm 135, for instance, describes idols of silver and gold. In other words, whatever you value, whatever you attribute or consider as, as wealth. But the psalm says this, that they do not speak, they do not see, they do not hear, nor is their breath in their mouths. In other words, they are not alive. And the psalmist goes on to say that those who make them shall become like them, and so with all of those who trust in them. In other words, if your idols are not living, they can never bring you life. They will only consume your life. In contrast to this God who is proclaimed by Paul as the living and true God. Do you serve idols which simply consume your life? Or do you serve the true and living God who brings you into into the life among his people that you might serve his mission? This is what changes us when we turn to the living and true God. That is when the world begins to be turned upside down. And these things we once worshipped and served, these things we once lived for, begin to take their proper place in our lives. Uh, You have a new ambition found in the true and living God and His works throughout the world. And we have to ask ourselves, is that evident in our own lives? Is that evident in your life? Well, it was among the Thessalonians. Again, these young believers, others took note. 
And here's the report that began to spread out from this church in Thessalonica. Verse 9, once again, the report was how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. There is no spreading report apart from that revolutionary change in our lives. No spreading report outside of the church apart from that revolutionary change in the lives of those who belong to the church. And might this be a reason that the church's witness becomes weak? Because we claim to worship and serve the true and living God, but our lives are actually governed by many other idols that are adored by those in the world around us. Nothing is turned upside down. Not much difference is evident. To replicate the word of the Lord, it must first be received. And then when the word of the Lord is received in this way, deeply in this way, it begins to be reproduced within the life of the church. And this is the second point. Once that word of the Lord, the word of the gospel is received, it begins to be reproduced in the life of the church. Again, think of DNA. It's received and then it's reproduced. Paul describes how they become imitators of us and of the Lord, verse 6. And then in verse 7, he says, so that you became examples. See, imitators become examples, received and now reproduced. Think of a play, maybe a good illustration at this point, Um, a play that's being reproduced. Same story, uh, same script, maybe written hundreds of years ago, someone like Shakespeare, whoever it may be, but now reproduced in a different location, entirely different place, uh, different script, different, or same script, different, different actors, different set, but the same in substance. And Paul is saying the church must be this way. The church is the stage upon which the gospel is always on show, always being reproduced. Different location, different sets, different actors, but the same story, the same substance. Paul says, it's what you've seen in us, imitators of us and of the Lord. It begins, of course, with Jesus Himself, He is the one we're called to faithfully represent, or you might say represent, before one another, uh, both inside the church and before those outside the church. Now, unfortunately, some of us have seen entirely different shows going on in the life of the church. Not a show that reproduces the gospel of Jesus Christ, but shows of an entirely different sort that discourage, uh, that, that prohibit the gospel's reach outward. And that shouldn't necessarily be a surprise, though. Unfortunately, 
Uh, We have plenty of evidence of this in the New Testament itself, and it's why so many of the New Testament epistles were written uh, to address these other shows that were happening in the life of the church. There are times when the church must be reminded. There are times when the church even needs to be confronted if we're to stay on script. And that, in a sense, is what Paul is doing with the Thessalonian church. He's reminding them of the storyline that they must maintain. And in verse 3, if you have a Bible open, you can look at the themes that Paul emphasizes that are always to be evident within the life of the church. In verse 3, these come up again and again in the New Testament. He speaks of faith, love, and hope. See, these are the primary themes that are to be reproduced once the message of the gospel is received. What does it reproduce in the life of the church? It it produces faith, love, and hope. Some have pointed out that it's very likely that Paul had these three in mind Also in verses 9 and 10, if you look there, here's the Thessalonian church. They've turned from idols to the true and living God out of faith, to serve the true and living God out of love, to wait for His Son from heaven, raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, showing their hope, faith, love, and hope. Which of these would you say you struggle with most? Faith? Uh, Love? Hope? Well, all of us at various times in various ways um, struggle with with each of those. Uh, But I wonder, maybe in our day and maybe for many of us, if hope is the one that is least evident in our lives. Hope waiting. Uh, Look again at verse 6. How did they receive the Lord? Not only with joy in the Holy Spirit, Paul says, but in much affliction. Uh, This too, though, is what it means to imitate the Lord. Uh, The gospel grounded in Christ's death and resurrection that we might be reconciled to God. Uh, Those afflictions that he endured will be reflected in the lives of his followers. See, if we're to imitate the Lord who suffered before entering into his glory, who experienced humiliation prior to his exaltation to the Father's right-hand side, then we too can expect those things in our own lives. Suffering before glory always on show in the Christian life, something that often makes it hard for us to live with this hope and joy in the Holy Spirit that Paul describes here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 9, Paul talks about his ministry as an apostle, and he says this. He says, God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men Sentenced to death, he says, as a spectacle to the world. Uh, That word spectacle in 
Greek, which Paul is writing, is, is the same word for theater. A show of death before the world, yet with the hope of the resurrection. You see, those afflictions that you experience, which may challenge your hope, are actually part of the gospel being experienced because it reproduces the life of Christ in us who, who forsook right, the shame of the cross as he looked to the joy that was set before him. And that hope of the gospel is absolutely essential in our witness to the world. Do others see your hope even in the midst of, the, of, of affliction? Do your children see your hope and your joy in the Holy Spirit even in the midst of hardship? Do our neighbors see that? Lives that witness to the truth of the gospel in faith, love, and hope turning the world upside down because it's so different from what others place their hope in. We may think we need to get to a place of, of strength before we can participate in missions. Uh, we need to get, to get it all together here if we're to be able to do any good out there. And that can be true for churches as well as for individuals. When all is stable here, then I can better serve there. But you see, that actually misses the point. Because it's not in our strength, but in our weakness that we bear witness to Christ through faith and love and hope. Remember that quote from F.F. F. Bruce I mentioned at the beginning, this young church, new believers, from the beginning, he says, the church in Thessalonica functioned as a missionary church from the beginning, not when they had it together. And you see here what goes forth from them out into the world in verse 8. Yes, the word of the Lord sounds forth from you, the message of the gospel, but not only that, he says, but also, Paul says, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. God's word, in combination with your response of faith, serves the mission of the church as the gospel goes outward, the truth of which is demonstrated in your response of faith, love, and hope. And the end result is the replication of ministry that reaches further than we could possibly see or imagine. And this is the last point. Uh, the example, Paul says in verse 8, their example, sounds forth. See, Paul is setting their experience, even their trials and afflictions, within this larger story of the gospel's advance outward despite all opposition, even in the face of trials and afflictions. Affliction, tribulation, whatever form that takes, is not simply something you must endure.
God uses it to extend the ministry of the gospel outward as you live by faith with great hope in him. Others see your joy in the Holy Spirit. Others see your hope as you wait. Isn't that what reproduces and replicates the the gospel within the church? In the churches I've served in the past, I've seen this. when, When members who are dear, dearly loved in the life of that church suffer and endure such great things in others, and maybe you've seen this in this church, and you see them and you see their response of hope and faith as they endure that trial, and it's a reminder of the power of the gospel and the reality of the Holy Spirit's presence with them if they can endure such a thing. And therefore, it leads to even greater faith in the life of the church. And that example is then to overflow outward to others. Uh, That word, uh, sound forth, has a similar root as the word echo does. And that, in effect, is what Paul is describing here. If you think of an echo, it's it's a report that reverberates further than your own voice could possibly take it, right? Your voice isn't strong enough to allow it to carry so far, but this echo, because of other factors, enables your voice to carry much further. And Paul is saying the gospel sounding forth from the church functions like that. It is like an echo, Uh, Paul says these reports sound forth further than his own ministry. And this is always true in the church, not in word only, Paul says in verse 8, not only through the pastor as he preaches or, or other leaders, but as the Holy Spirit works through the church and the example of your faith echoes outward into the world. When received, the gospel echoes forth from our lives further than we could possibly see. To the Thessalonians, Paul says in verse 8, The word of the Lord soundeth forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia. Now, Thessalonia, Thessalonica, the city, is a city in the ancient Greek province of Macedonia. It's echoing out near, Paul says. But not only in Macedonia, also in Achaia. Achaia is a province south of Macedonia in the direction of Paul's ministry. And it's as if Paul is saying, the report of your response to the gospel is outpacing my own ministry as I take the gospel even further afield. The word of the Lord sounding forth along with the echoes of the church's response in faith serving to extend the gospel both near and far. Paul even says your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. And this is always true. It's how God replicates the gospel in and through the church. Maybe you've thought about this before. Who did you first hear the gospel from? Maybe you grew up in the church and You've always heard the gospel. Others of you, maybe you remember very distinctly a person um, or a setting in which you first heard the gospel. But have you ever thought, well, who did that person who I heard from first hear the gospel from? 
And, and what about them? How did they first hear the gospel? And the person before them, reaching further and further back, echoes that have extended out from the ministry of Jesus and his apostles. Echoes that will continue to sound forth even from us as his people to other locations, to future generations, in ways that you could never imagine as you live by faith, expressed in love, evident in your hope. How does the gospel sound forth from this church, from renewal? Not contained in these four walls, but reverberating outward, both in word and deeds that demonstrate your faith, your love, and your hope among neighbors, co-workers, friends, and family, going forth everywhere, as the apostle Paul says, so that we need not say anything, outpacing the advance of Paul's own gospel proclamation faster than his own feet can take him. When is a church effective in missions? When is a church active in missions? Not primarily when the church sends out others to far-flung places, but when your faith accompanies the word that goes forth. As those who have received the gospel, evident as you have turned away from idols to the true and living God, witness to in your faith, your love, and your hope, echoing out further and further. That is what turns the world upside down. See, missions is not one more thing that the church is supposed to do. Not something that's added in or added on to your faith, but is the result of a life of faith. As you await the sons, the sons return, risen from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that in your own time you have brought your word to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing our hearts. Uh, we recognize the many ways that we still have to repent, that we might live for your glory, uh, that the witness of our faith, our love and hope might extend outward. We pray that it would. Uh, Lord, um, may we serve you not only in word but in deeds uh, that exhibit the great things that you have done for us in Christ Jesus and in ways that we could never imagine because you work in the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray that that message of the gospel of God's grace in Christ Jesus would extend outward from us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.